thank you so much uh, for that introduction, and thank you for this opportunity. Uh, it's a real privilege to be opening up God's Word for us this morning uh, as we continue our series looking at the kings uh, of Israel and Judah. Uh, today we're looking at King Hezekiah, who's one of the kings of Judah. There's a lot that we could uh, say about uh, King Hezekiah, but we're going to be particularly focusing, as, as we noticed from that video, on this idea of worship. Uh, but first, uh, let me read a passage from 2 Kings 18, then I'll pray, and we can get stuck into it. So 2 Kings 18, is it up on the screen behind me? Yep, beautiful. Uh, In the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses has made, for up to that time the Israelites had been burning incense to it. It was, it was called Nehushtan. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord, did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses. And the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria, did not serve him. From watchtower to fortified city, he defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory. Uh, why don't we pray and ask God to, to bless us this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you speak so clearly to us through your word. God, thank you that your word is a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. Thank you that in your word we get to see who you are. We get to see you more clearly. We get to know you through Christ. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be speaking this morning. Speak to each one of us. Speak to our hearts, Lord God. Move us to see you more clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, often, I think, one of the things that I sometimes struggle with uh, in my faith or walk with God is not, not so much to do with, with whether I trust him or, or love him or, or, or believing in him, but I think Often it comes to do with the fact that there are so many things out there that are just grappling and, and vying for my attention in life, you know, for that number one spot uh, to kick God off his throne in my heart. And I wonder if you can resonate with that. Uh, John Calvin, he famously said that the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. Our hearts are so good at just producing idol after idol, uh, so good at, at taking something in our lives, maybe something, something that's a good gift from God or just something that we enjoy doing, whatever it might be, and then just elevating that to a position of worship. Our hearts want to chase after that. Um, you see, we were, we were created for a life of worship. But then sin comes along and, and tries to take that uh, object of worship and make it anything other than God. It's this constant battle uh, in our lives. Uh, first example I can think of was money straight away. It's, it's a great resource and a tool uh, for us to use, but so often do we uh, elevate that and, and our lives 
become a pursuit of it and a pursuit of the things that money can get us. Uh, comfortable lifestyle can be another one that, that uh, when a time of comfort comes, we should enjoy that, but so often it can become this kind of this pursuit in our life, a pursuit of comfort, of comfortable living. It's the same for experiences in life. There are so many things uh, that vie for our attention. What's the solution? How do, we, how do we fix this? How can we ensure that, that God becomes our number one priority, remains our number one priority? How can we pursue God as a church, as individuals, as families, when all of this is going on? Well, my prayer is that we will find out the answers to those questions as we look at King Hezekiah. And for those who like to take notes, we're going to be looking at three things in particular. First thing we're going to look at is the restoration of true worship. The second thing we'll look at is what the result of that restoration of worship is. And the final thing we're going to look at is the strength that worship gives us. So first, restoration of worship in Judah. So King Hezekiah, he starts his reign at 25 years old. And what does he do in the very first month of his reign? It's in 2 Chronicles 29. It will be up on the screen behind me. So the temple doors had been shut. Uh, the, the previous king, Ahaz, had shut the doors to the temple. It's like a symbol of turning their backs on worshipping God at the temple. It was no longer happening there. They weren't worshipping God in the way that he had created it to be. So King Hezekiah, he opens them and he looks into the temple and assumably he's pretty horrified by what he sees. And he gathers the priests and the Levites together and he says this, listen to me, Levites, consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors. Remove all defilement from the sanctuary. Our parents were unfaithful. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord, our God, and forsook him. They turned their faces away from the Lord's dwelling place and turned their backs on him. You see, what had happened was that all these items and details of the temple had been stripped away, taken away, removed, and had been used as worship for other gods, worship in other places, and even as, as gifts and offerings to other kings. They had turned their backs on the temple they had turned their backs on the place where God dwelt among them as his God. And worse than that, they had ruined it. They had defiled it. They had made it unclean, unholy, unfit for God's presence. I wonder if you ever feel like that. You know, the, the temple, it was the, the, a building in the Old Testament. But today we are that temple of God. I wonder if you ever, ever feel unfit for that, unfit for the presence of God. That sense, maybe that sense of unworthiness is what is stopping you right now from accessing God, from worshipping Him, from pursuing Him and walking in His ways. What does King Hezekiah do about it? He calls the Levites to, to consecrate themselves, to purify themselves, and then to consecrate and purify the temple. And they had to go through some pretty, uh, pretty intense things and rituals involving sacrifices, lots of death, doing it all in the exact way that God had commanded them. What was the point of all this? 
Well, the point was two things, right? It reminded the Levites, and it reminded all of Judah for that matter, of who the Lord their God is. And it particularly would have reminded them of God's holiness. See, the fact that because of Israel's sin and the people of Judah's sin, there was this massive separation between God, a holy God, a glorious God, a good, righteous, awesome God, and a sinful people. Uh, I think of Isaiah's encounter with God. Um, He sees this vision of the Lord as this pretty awesome, glorious picture. And, uh, And he collapses. And he says, Woe to me, I am ruined, for, my, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. There's this massive separation between a holy God and sinful people. But the fact that there were these consecration rituals and purity rituals meant that God had actually provided a way a way of consecration and purification, a way for the people of Judah and of Israel to be cleansed, to be made holy, and to come to him at the temple and worship him. See, the people of Judah, they were reminded that they they were not worthy of God's presence. But despite that, God still provided a way for his presence to dwell with them. He provided a way that he could still be their God and have a relationship with them. You see, we too are the temple of the Lord. God's presence dwells in us by his spirit. How can that be? Uh, how can that be when we too are sinful people? How can that be when we are separated from God because of our sin and rebellion? It's because Christ Jesus, through his perfect sacrifice, once for all, cleansed us, purified us from all our sin and unrighteousness. In Christ, we are made holy to be the dwelling place of God. It's no wonder that the the climax of this restoration of temple worship Uh, with King Hezekiah was the reinstatement of the celebration of the Passover. So the Passover was a celebration where where the people of Israel would would remember, look back and remember a time when God had chosen them as his people, had redeemed them from slavery to Egypt and had made them his people and the place of his dwelling. And as the Passover was from them, so the Lord's Supper is for us a reminder of God's redemption for us through Christ out of our slavery to sin. I think sometimes what we need, in fact, a lot of the time we need this reminder. It's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper regularly. We need to be reminded of who the Lord our God is, that he is holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And this awesome, powerful, mighty, glorious God has made a way through Christ for us to have access to him and his presence. 
So if you feel like you are unworthy for God, (laughs) remember that thankfully our worth and our worthiness is not up to us. Our worth and our worthiness is found in Christ and in his righteousness. Christ is worthy and through him we are too. So that's the first thing that this purification of the temple uh, reminded the people of Judah of. The second thing was, it was actually an act of repentance for the people. You see, God had made the way, but the people of Judah still had to do something. They had to respond. They had to repent. They had to recommit themselves to God. They had to set themselves apart for him again. There are going to be times in our lives or areas of our lives where we will turn our backs on God. Uh, There's going to be areas in our lives that we're not quite willing to give over to God just yet. God, you can have all of me except not this area. That's, That's mine. God, you can have all of me except you can stay out of my bank account. I'm going to do with my money what I want. God, you can have all of me except stay away from my relationship with my boyfriend or girlfriend. We're going to do what we want. God, you can have all of me except my Saturdays. (laughs) That's my time to worship me. That's me time. You see, there there are so many things that can distract us, take us away from worshipping and pursuing God. And we lose sight of him. And there are things that we need to repent of this morning. There are areas of our lives that we need to recommit to God, to set ourselves apart for him again. Uh, in Romans 12, it was awesome that that video was up and, and the one verse that came up was the one, <laughs> one verse from the New Testament I was linking to. It's Romans 12, verse one. It's a beautiful verse on what our act of worship is. Uh, It ties these two things together. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In view of God's mercy, in view of who he is and everything that he has done for us in Christ, all that Christ's life, death and resurrection achieved for us, in view of all of that, Now offer your bodies, your whole self, everything that you are, over to God as a sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. That is what it is for us to restore worship back to God. That's the first thing I want us to see this morning, this restoration of worship. The second thing for, for the note takers uh, is what the result of that is. And we're going we're gonna to look at what happens to the people of Judah as, as Hezekiah restores this worship. It's over in 2, Chron- two Chronicles again. Uh, it might be up on the screen again. Perfect. Uh, the entire assembly of Judah rejoiced, along with the priests and Levites and all who had assembled from Israel including the foreigners who had come from Israel and also those who resided in Judah. There was great joy in Jerusalem. For since the days of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. 
The priests and the Levites stood to bless the people and God heard them for their prayer reached heaven, his holy dwelling place. The first result as we worship God, as we restore worship back to him, is joy. Uh, I'm reminded of, of John Piper, an American pastor and theologian. Uh, he, he wrote this book called Desiring God uh, and, and has this whole movement thing uh, based on this idea. This is what he says. Uh, you were created for something greater than yourself. You were formed for something awesome and magnificent. You were made to know glory, God's glory. And the deepest longings of the human heart can be fully satisfied by pursuing God and his glory. In fact, and this is, this is his most famous saying, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. The, the point being that, that worshipping and, and pursuing God is the only place, the only place where true joy and satisfaction is found. The more we pursue him, the more we pursue his glory, the more satisfied and joyful we are. And that's what we see with the people of Judah, right? They've restored this worship and, and the, the result is just this overflowing joy that just comes bubbling out, overflowing from them. They're singing and praising him. They're, they're joyful. I wonder if you're sitting here and your, your joy tank's a bit on empty. Maybe you're feeling a bit flat in your relationship with God. You're not, you're not just really, you're really just not noticing his presence much at the moment. Don't, don't give up on God. Don't withdraw from him. No, this is actually the time to pursue him more. It's the time to turn to him. It's the time to worship him because joy is found in him. I was reflecting on some of the times in my life where I find the most joy, uh, not just talking about being happy and all that stuff. I'm talking about that deep sense of joy, of, of contentment and satisfaction. Uh, when I'm holding my newborn son or just playing with my 18-month-old son and I know, it's just this, the love that a father has for his kids or a parent has for their kids. And there's something about that that just reveals something new about the love that God has as our father for us. And I just get a deep sense of joy. Uh, when I'm standing up this morning, worshipping, praising God, singing, and I look around and I see so many different people with different things going on in their lives, all praising it and worshipping God together, unified in our worship of Him. And that brings me joy. I think of times when uh, I'm just reading God's Word or, or listening to a sermon, and I learn something new about, or, or something deeper about God and who He is. And again, there it is, joy. Or I'm listening to a young person sharing a testimony about the way that God has brought them out of the kingdom of darkness and into his glorious light. And there it is again, joy. Joy is found as we 
understand more who God is, and what he's done, what he's doing in our lives. Worship leads to joy. I'm going to keep reading from that passage, keep looking at what happens to the, the people of Judah. When all this had ended, the Israelites who were there, they went out to the towns of Judah and they smashed the sacred stones. They cut down the Asherah poles. They destroyed the high places and the altars throughout Judah and Benjamin and Ephraim and Manasseh. And after they had destroyed them, they went back to their own towns and to their own property. See, it's, it's the pursuit of God, the commitment to him, the wholehearted worship of him, the joy that's found in him that gives us the desire, the motivation, the strength to destroy the idols that are in our lives. When, when you're single um, and you're... And you, you might be looking for, for who might be that, that person that you're going to spend the rest of your life with. You know, you start meeting a few people. Oh, that, that Christian guy is nice. That Christian girl is nice. You've got these options, right? But what happens when you fall for that one? When you fall in love with that one person? Everything else just kind of pales into the background, fades away. It's the same with our worship of God. As we pursue Him and worship Him, as we grow in our understanding and knowledge of Him, who He is, as we understand the lengths that which Christ went to to bring us out of death and into life, our view of His glory and goodness grows and all those other things that were competing for our attention and are distracting us from God, they just lose their power and their appeal. And we're enabled by the Spirit to destroy the idols in our lives. Uh, there's that hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full on his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So that's the second result. It's, it's the strength and the power to remove idols from our lives. We'll keep reading. He ordered the people living in Jerusalem to give the portion due the priests and Levites so that they could devote themselves to the law of the Lord. He, that is King Hezekiah. And as soon as the order went out, the Israelites generously gave the first fruits of their grain, new wine, olive oil, and honey, and all that the fields produced. They brought a great amount, a tithe of everything. The people of Israel and Judah who lived in the towns of Judah also brought a tithe of their herds, and flocks and a tithe of the holy things dedicated to the Lord their God, and they piled them in heaps. See, the result of worship is generous lives. Now, it rearranges our priorities, it loosens our hold on the things of earth, so that now instead of seeking to get, 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 we're free to give to contribute to ministries that are going on, to the community around us, to each other, with money, with time, in hospitality, with cooking meals for each other. When, when, we, when, we gave, when Elise gave birth to August, we had these offers of people just making us meals. See, worship leads to generous lives, to serve each other, to help each other. 
what a radical transformation that worship, true worship, wholehearted worship of God leads to. The final thing we'll look at just briefly is the strength that worship gives us. While King Hezekiah and the people of Judah, they're restoring worship, they're restoring temple worship, they're praising God, they're removing idolatry. What's happening uh, in the kingdom of Israel? They've turned their backs on God. They've not repented. They're worshipping other gods. And in the face of this great kingdom of Assyria, they still do not repent. They don't trust God. They trust in themselves and they are conquered. And now this mighty kingdom of Assyria is knocking on the door of Judah. The Assyrians taunt them. They ridicule them and and mock them for trusting in the Lord. In fact, they ridicule and mock the Lord himself. How can God save you when all of the gods of these other nations have fallen before us? Change teams, come to us. You'll be safe. And in fact, we'll even give you land and prosperity. Turn your back on God and join us. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up now. How do they respond? How does the people of Judah respond in the face of this great opposition? The people of Judah, they remain silent. They stand firm. King Hezekiah, he returns to the temple and he cries out to the Lord. He prays to him, calls on him to act and to deliver them. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. You see, even in the face of a great enemy, of potential death, as he cries out to God, his concern is for the glory and the worship of God. This is Hezekiah's strength. In the face of the immense army of the Assyrians, when he's up against scary odds of survival, he stands firm because he knows the Lord. He knows who he is and he worships him. What gives us the strength to stand firm in the face of great opposition, when we're tempted to give in, when we feel the pressure to turn our backs on God, when it might get too hard, it's worship. It's worship of the true Lord and God. Let me pray. Lord God, you are our awesome, holy, mighty God. And you have made a way for us to know you. God, we thank you for our Saviour, Jesus. We thank you that through him, his perfect life and death, his sacrifice once for all, we are cleansed. We are brought from death to life. We are made new. We are made worthy because of Him. 
God, fix our eyes on you and who you are and what you have done. God, help us to worship you with everything we have. We pray this in Jesus' name.